Welcome to Bruin One Ear and Out the Other. I'm Nakin. I'm Pranav. Our guest on today's podcast is Janine Mason, lead actress on CW's Roswell, New Mexico, and season five winner of So You Think You Can Dance. One of the reasons why I was excited to have Janine on the podcast is her incredible talent and passion for dance, and how she's been able to parlay her dance background into a successful career in television, especially at a relatively young age. On July 7th, we talked with Janine about her love for dance and how she ended up auditioning for So You Think You Can Dance, her time at UCLA studying world arts and culture while simultaneously auditioning for roles and taking acting classes, and how this reboot of Roswell, New Mexico deals with serious subjects like racism, immigration, and medical ethics while being charming and entertaining at the same time. So without further ado, here's our interview with Janine. Hi, Janine. Thank you for joining us on Bruin One Ear and Out the Other. Hi, thank you for having me. So because this is a UCLA-themed podcast, one of the things we wanted to do was ask one of the questions that current applicants have to answer as part of the application. And as always, we think it serves as a great introduction for our listeners. And so the prompt we've chosen for you is, what have you done to make your school or your community a better place? I really love that question. Um, you know, I, I think a lot about um, effective donating and service. It's one of my favorite things to chat with people about because obviously it's so easy to, you know, put your money towards a, an admirable cause. But when we think about like, what are the most potent ways we can solve a world problem or take care of your community? What I've been focusing on lately is how important it is to be micro about it and um, to not lose your to not lose your energy and um, and to like cloud doubt when you think about it and you get overwhelmed by how big it needs to be like it's so important and effective when it's small so what I'm proud of now in retrospect if I think about being a high schooler and attempting to, to answer that is that I think in high school I did a good job of um, just doing doing my work doing my work which at the time was a lot of dancing and a lot of teaching at the dance studio and just being a good baby role model for the little ones at that dance studio and just going out and representing myself well every weekend. And for me, that's just what I wanted to do for me to, to do right by myself as an athlete and as a role model. But now what I realize is I, what I was doing was being, um, just, just being dynamite as a young woman and as a young Latin woman. And, um, doing it without any noise or, or expectation that, I, that, that any of that would put me to disadvantage. And I think that said a lot to those little girls, which hearing that back from them now, little girls and boys, at, but we were primarily little girls at our dance studio. Um, it's cool to see the ways that um, it, it gave something to them. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the most, that's probably the biggest way I was able to contribute to our little community. Yeah, so I guess you started dancing at the age of three. Um, maybe how did you get involved at such a young age? And maybe um, you talked about being a role model. Who are your role models and, and how have you kind of taken what they've taught you and, and kind of implemented that now? Thank you. Yeah, um, I started at three. It really was something that my mom always wanted to do. I'm Cuban American. My parents came here during the revolution. They're both Cuban immigrants. And um, uh, my mom just 
always had a desire and it wasn't really a possibility for her as a, you know, hustling immigrant, um, going to college, raising my older sister, she didn't get to do that. So um, it was, it was kind of determined for me without um, my ever having a say in it. Obviously I was two and a half when the ideas, you know, when the tutus started appearing, but um, luckily I loved it and it has informed everything in my life and continues to. And um, yeah, you know, for me, it was, it was natural to who I am. I was always just a performer. It wasn't a thing where I sort of had that movie I watched that I then went, okay, now I, I know I wanna do this. It was in me from the beginning. And I now see how that's true for some people. Some people are just really born with, um, with a, a, the, one channel a little more clear and defined for them. And for me, it was that. Um, so I loved it. And, and then I quickly started to, um, gravitate to particular dancers, sort of with what I was saying previously, honestly, people in my community, people that you guys wouldn't, wouldn't know, you know, and, and people who honestly have, some have gone on to, to dance on Broadway and things like that, but others really are, um, just normal folk. But at the time, their, their movement spoke to me and it did everything to encourage me to, put in another five hours at the studio and try to get better. But I always also had, you know, Rita Moreno. I remember the first time I saw her, I was like, holy hell, that woman just can command, you know, an indefinite amount of people with the way she uses her body. Like she's such a force and I loved that. Um, and Sutton Foster, I loved growing up. I, I loved a lot of the like Broadway divas. I just, I loved how big they were. And, you know, I think there was something about how unapologetically performative they were that I just have always been chasing after. Yeah. And I guess uh, just recently Hamilton was on Disney plus and talking about performing arts and, and immigrants kind of, what does that play kind of mean to you or, or you think it's going to mean to the next generation? Oh my gosh. So much. I remember seeing in the Heights, I know you and I, uh, you guys and I are, are sort of the same years. So it was probably 08 or 09, my junior, senior year of high school that um, I came out to New York with my mom and I saw In the Heights and that was Lin-Manuel Miranda's first show on Broadway. And it just totally blew my, blew my mind, you know. Um, speaking of Rita Moreno, West Side Story was sort of the thing. It was the Latin, Latino show on Broadway. And, and that show was just so contemporary in the, heart, in the, in the Heights. And, and um, it was a group of people that um, all felt like they came from the same place and they were, you know, celebrating the same um, successes and, and enduring the same hardships. And that was all just so cool to see on the stage. It really, I remember that night so vividly. And I've seen a lot of Broadway shows. A lot of them don't stay with me, but that night I remember. Um, and seeing Hamilton was insane too. And by the time I got to watching Hamilton, it was cool because I, I had friends already, dancers who I'd grown up with and competed with who are in the show and who are still on the show now, you know. Um, so a pretty, a pretty big um, journey for me and watching his work on Broadway. I'm, I'm such a fan of his. Sure. And, and so at what age did you realize, hey, I'm pretty good at this. You know, I could make a career out of it. And what inspired you then to, to try out for So You Think You Can Dance? You know, I, okay, so sort of two things, and they might be contradictory, but 
I was probably around 12 when I realized, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I was tragically bad, but I loved it so much. There was no deterring me from continuing to do it. And then when I was about 12, I had a solo <laughs> that I competed. I went on stage and this doesn't happen to me often, but sometimes like every actor's nightmare, it all just leaves your brain and you're just like, oh my God, how did I, what, what was I supposed to do here? Because it's not with me anymore. And I walked on stage to do the solo at age 12 and I completely forgot the solo. Truly from the first chord that was played of my music. So I just improvised and I, I believe our solos were really like a minute 30 to two minutes in, in competition and in, in um, youth competition for dance. And I just improvised the entire time. I just was like, great, now we'll do this and some of that. And I finished the dance and walked off and was just like terrified to go confront my teacher. I was just like, what did I, what just happened? And I ended up getting second place. And I remember she came up to me after. And this, I had never even come close to second place. Like it was, this was, this was an, a miracle. And she looked at me like ever the tough ballet teacher, you know, which I love. I love tough teachers. I love teachers that don't blow smoke up your ass, you know? And she said to me, um, you know, I wonder what would have happened if you did the choreography. <laughs> and, and I thought, maybe I have a chance. Maybe I, maybe I could actually be great. It seems like there's enough that I don't understand that must just be inherent in me. That's a part of who I am as a performer, which um, has gotten me to this point. So if I, if I bring in, you know, not my like 12 year old moves <laughs> that I just came up with on the spot, maybe it'd be great, you know? Uh, so that was sort of the, the turning point for me, age 12. And then from there on out, I started slowly winning and slowly, you know, gaining a little momentum and, and attention. Uh, attention in my community and, and access to better teachers and traveled more, all that stuff. Um, uh, but, and then the other half of it would be the contradiction I was saying earlier would be that I also just like never, it never occurred to me I had to be good to keep doing it. You know, for me, it was just like, I, maybe it's just being a kid and it's just that blissful thing of like, you're just gonna, you're just going to keep on doing it. And, and you don't have yet a sense that like at some point you're now an artist out in the world. And unless you're making money, that's going to be hard to sustain. Like it, that hadn't dawned on me yet. I just, I truly moved through my interest in this thinking like, this is my life always. It's going to be this. Um, yeah. And later on, you know, um, I had to confront that again as an adult when I was sort of taking care of myself financially suddenly. And I, the fear of like, what if I can't sustain this um, was, was keeping me stuck for a minute there, just hustling, doing my guest stars, like driving around LA, you know, going to school part-time at UCLA. And, and then I, one day I just sort of realized like, I, I will always make it work. So I can just remove that pressure from my life. You're an artist. That's it. You know? And it was so freeing, um, hugely freeing, my God. Um, but, you know, and then to be honest, so you think in dance, I, I had already been accepted to UCLA at that point. So I, my intention was to just come out to LA and do that and, and just hustle and like, you know, hit the auditions. And I really didn't know whether that was the best move for me. And so I was very hesitant. And, and my mom was the one that convinced me and they happened to be auditioning in Miami that year. And it was just sort of like serendipitous. And I went, I auditioned and, um, did not think I would make the show, let alone make the top 10 and get to 
go on tour, you know, let alone win the thing. That was never part of the plan, but it was a glorious, you know, spinoff of that one brave day in Miami of going and standing in line and auditioning. So tell us a little bit about your experience on the show. Um, it sounds like you've had some ballet experience and I imagine that's kind of your background and I imagine some sort of Latin dance as well. So how difficult it, was it to try to pick up these variety of new dance styles or were you familiar with a lot of them already? I was familiar with uh, a good amount in the sense that I grew up with ballet and jazz and modern. Um, I had done a little hip hop, you know, and, and I was a tragic tap dancer, but luckily the show didn't didn't require that at the time. Um, but I was very much a soloist. I competed as a soloist. And even when I was competing with the company I grew up um, dancing with at Focal Point Dance Studio, we all acted as soloists. It was ma mainly women. So we all just, girls, let's be real. It was mainly girls. So we all just, just sort of did our thing and we didn't do a lot of partnering. And that was the big challenge of entering that show because that is a partner show and your success relies on, on your being able to um, have a healthy partnership. Um, so that was the biggest challenge for me. Um, I had never done ballroom dance and, and my God, is it impressive and incredible. And um, my, my partner was, is, was Philip Shabib, who he is an incredible hip hopper and finger tutter. And if you guys aren't familiar with him, like go to his Instagram immediately, he's incredible. But he too was, was not a partner. He did his own thing. So we struggle bust man, we struggle bust. And, and there was so much love. Like we just, we were both, we were both were, was hustlers. We were both like, we're down to rent the studio space on our day off and to practice, 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 you know? Um, but there was a lot of frustration. It was hard for us, hard. Um, but we did it. We made it. We made it to the top 10. We both got on tour. Everything's okay. Still a little traumatized. So, so tell us kind of how, how did it feel when you you and the final contestant are on stage, they call your name. What is the feeling of winning and kind of what did that mean to you? And, and then tell us a little bit about your experience going on tour with, with your, your fellow dancers. Yeah, you know, I think the, the finale of that show is really um, sort of wrapped up for me in this one moment that happened. Um, my parents flew out from Miami, my dance teacher, my best friend, they all came out to support me. I mean, it was like crazy. It was just the most unbelievable thing that happened to us. We all watched the show, you know, we would watch it all together at my house growing up all through high school. And so they came out to the finale and my parents were all lined up. They were in the second row and it was at um, the Kodak Theater um, where they hold the Academy Awards. And I was just, un couldn't believe it. And they were introducing us, which is something they do on the show. Kat Dealey, the host, will introduce you one at a time. And those top four. And, and um, they were like, Brandon. And he came out and did his little, like, 30 seconds of a jig. And then they said my name. And I ran out, just like any old show. And I, like, struck my pose. And it was like, Janine. And it's 3,000 people. And, like, this these three tiers or four tiers of seats. And it was so loud, the sudden excitement and explosion. And it's, it's that feeling that I'm assuming rock stars are very familiar with. And it startled me. It startled me and my dad. I remember 
I remember having this moment where we were almost like communicating telepathically and he could see that it had startled me because he knows me, but the rest of the world is just like, yeah, she's good. And I just sort of froze for a second. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe um, how supportive they all were and how excited they all were. It was incredible, that finale. And, and, and that final announcement of winning was just as, as uh, I mean, it was incredible. It was, it was so not my plan the whole time. And, and, and I, I just was enjoying myself the whole way through. I was just like, I felt like I was in the TV finally. <laughs> like, I was like, this is so cool. And I'm in the TV screen. And, and I was just having such a good time and just trying to keep up with digesting all of it, like with like taking it all in. And I really think that that was a part of just being in joy, in the joy of it and in the awe of it, I think is probably the biggest thing that got me to the end there because it's very true that on that show, the best dancer does not necessarily win. It's generally just several things, but it's someone you feel connected to. And I just felt like I was just sending out so much like, thanks for having me, <laughs> that it just worked in the end towards me. But, and then tour was, wonderful. It was 40 cities, US and Canada, living on a bus. I mean, I had to, I had to um, defer to January start at UCLA. I couldn't start in the fall. And I was a little bummed. Like I was like pumped to be a freshman and like live in the dorms and like do the thing. But then I was like, okay, you know what? It'll be there. <laughs> Four years will come. Um, right now, let's go pretend we're a rock star and live on a bus for a minute. Um, it was incredible. It was incredible. I, I had always dreamed of doing like a road trip of the 50 states and we would stop at a, you know, we would do a show and then we would, we would order food to the bus before we hit the road and drove through the night to get to our next city. And um, I remember being in Chicago and like ordering a bunch of deep dish and like, we were just a bunch of kids being like, hold on. So what's the thing you do in Chicago? Like it's, it was incredible an incredible first job. I'm so grateful. Since you talked about how fun the experience was and, and mainly that the best dancer doesn't win. Uh, Nakin, do you want to talk about being on the dance team at UCLA? And then maybe Janine, you can kind of see if we can get Nakin to audition. Uh, for uh, you can dance. And then Nakin, keep in mind I'm the host. I can kick you out if we, if we don't get a yes from you. Oh man, okay. So yeah, um, embarrassing. So by no means am I on the same level as someone of your caliber. I think that means so I I joined uh, a dance team at UCLA my freshman year. It's a Indian, it's like a mix, a fusion of Bollywood dance and hip hop. And the group is called UCLA Nisha. Uh, so I did that for one year and I joined without having any dance experience. I just tried out because I was like, this this sounds like a fun, fun way to learn. And so I spent an entire year getting yelled at and learning the very basics of dance. And I now have a great appreciation for what a dancer has to do, because it's not easy. Doesn't it just like open up your eyes? Like suddenly you're like, sign me up for every show. I, I want to go to the Nutcracker. Like, you're like, these people are amazing. I mean, truly, it was yeah, Einstein, I think, that said it has, that. It has made watching shows like So You Think You Can Dance, America's Best Dance Crew, World of Dance, these kind of things, so much more fun because you have a greater appreciation for, you know it takes hours and hours to, to clean up choreography and, and to make it look as flawless as it does on stage, so. Absolutely, and honestly, I'm, I'm impressed with you because I, I got to do some Bollywood on the show and it was one of the most just 
rewarding experiences I had on it. I had no idea. I mean, we talk about dance as like its own language and how much we can communicate and how much the body and the performance and the, the shapes communicate, but the, the hands and, and what you're literally getting to say through Bollywood, how everything is a sentence. It's just, it's, it, it blew my mind learning about it. And, um, my God, what an insanely stunning art form. I, I'm so impressed with you because that was, it was like a brain fart trying to coordinate my hands so meticulously, like in the way I can't tap because it's sort of like that much control under my ankles. I just like, I just like overdrive. I'm like, I like punk out. I'm like, I can't. Trying to do that with Bollywood with, the, with my hands was just such a challenge. I'm so stunning, oh my God. So I, I will say this, a lot of the, we were a, a team, so we had both guys and girls. The girls choreography on a difficulty scale from zero to 10 was probably like an eight or nine. And the guys choreography difficulty was probably a four or five. And they had to dumb it down for a lot of us because the girls, all of them, you know, had been doing this their entire lives. And most of the guys, you know, came to college and were like, I'm going to try to figure this out on the fly. So that's, I love you guys though, for showing up that way. That is so exciting. I wish I had more dudes show up. You know, when I was in Miami dancing, I would have maybe partnered earlier. <laughs> but I'll take that as a yes. Nakin's got an addition. Um, and I'll send you his information. You can forward to Kat Neely, make sure he's done. Well. I will put he's in a good word. <laughs> uh, so about UCLA, you talked about uh, kind of hedging yourself, uh, making sure that you can kind of financially look out for yourself. And, and that was part of the reason for going to college. Um, why particularly UCLA? And then when you matriculate in January, do the dorms live up to the expectations? <laughs> you know, I, I always knew I wanted to come to LA and it just, I, I can't even remember the first moment, but it was just the one. It was always the dream. It was like, oh God, UCLA. But I was intimidated as an out-of-stater because it's that like, at least back then, I think it was like 3% of the student body was, was that was accepted was out-of-state. And um, I don't even know where it's at now, but um, I was so intimidated and ter terrified, I should say, that I wouldn't get in because I wanted it so bad. I wanted to be a Bruin so bad. And I auditioned for all, um, all the schools in the area, you know, and um, when I got that acceptance letter, I remember running, I was at my high school, I remember like running into our, our uh, library and opening up that email portal and just being like, ah, and seeing accepted and just shrieking, it was the best. Um, and being so relieved about our quarter system. I know that's such a silly thing for most people to, but for me it was huge because we're unique in that way, the UC system where we do our 10 week quarter systems. And um, it allowed me to truly attempt to be a working professional and a student at the same time, because it meant if I got a gig, which happened a couple times, and I was, you know, two weeks into the quarter, then I could be back, I could drop out and I could do that job and I could be back at school in eight weeks and not in January. And that meant the world to me. It just made such a difference. Um, and I did, I did make the decision to not live in the dorms come January, which was a hard one to make, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did because it just, I think it allowed me to stay focused on um, the acting and getting to class and all of that aspiration. 
Um, and it just, it was just, yeah, it just made it easier to get in and out. And I, you know, I was, I was in my car constantly, just like driving to school and then, you know, driving to auditions and, um, driving to acting class. Like it was like, it was incredible. Um, but yeah, I remember so much of that first semester in particular, it just, it felt, it was, so, it was always in me so deep, the desire to go to college and accomplish that. And, you know, I just moved to New York and I've been moving my stuff. And just a couple of days ago, I was putting out things and, and it's like, you know, the prized possessions are the ones that, and it's like my diploma's here now. And I just, it feels, it does feel so good. I'm so proud I, I did it <laughs> still. So speaking about your diploma, you got a degree in world arts and cultures. Can you yes. tell us about what was that as a major? What did it entail? Um, I, I got to take one class in that department. It was with David Shorter, um, mm -hmm. Indigenous Studies. Um, did you even get a chance to take one of his classes? Maybe the one on ghosts or? Uh, I wish I would have taken that class. I heard so much about it. I, oh my gosh, I just, I didn't realize what a gift that major was going to be. And I'm more and more grateful to it um every day it really it um it's so unique particularly in the in the dance world and in what other schools offer in terms of um, dance departments um and it's it spoke to my interest and curiosity that it informs a lot of who i am as an artist and just like getting to know people and getting to know places and experiences and it's that is so unique it really it world arts and cultures it says it right in the name you know um and i loved our little our little like slice of the campus our beautiful building being so close to royce um seeing so many shows there you know um i never did get to perform at royce but that is on my bucket list and that will happen i will let you guys know <laughs> that's that has to happen before i retire or <laughs> which i don't know whether that'll happen either but um yeah, I, I loved it. I, I will jump in, gonna jump in here. Performing at Royce is everything it's cracked up to be, so. I am so happy to hear that. I, I sitting in that auditorium, it's, that's the cool thing about being an, an artist is that you go like, and having that experience, having that in, you know, that lived experience in your body of being on the stage, you just walk into any theater moving forward going like, this would be a fun theater to just send my vibrance throughout, like to send it to that last row, you know, to get that chance to do that. Um, oh my God, the amount of shows I've seen there. Oh, I would love to. So coming up, coming soon. <laughs> and so you mentioned kind of while at your time at UCLA, you're, you're running to auditions, you're, you know, taking acting classes in addition to your regular school workload. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how challenging that was and what, uh, so you were able to, to get a part on Bunheads bun when you were working at, when you were at UCLA. Would you say that that was like your first big break and what was it like? Flipped up right there and I was so glad you didn't say Buttheads. Like, it was <laughs> so close. Uh, like, you oh. saved it. You saved it. Um, it, what was your experience working with Amy Sherman Palandino, who's famous for the Gilmore Girls and now Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Unbelievable. I would, I would do any job that woman ever, <laughs> ever signed up for any capacity. I mean, if she will have me, I will be there. Um, you know, it was, 
at that point I had done a, I'd done a lot of guest stars. I love, I love guest stars. I love just popping in, seeing the work dynamic, the set dynamic, the way actors um, work and conduct themselves on set. And it sort of feels like you're getting an opportunity to work and to stretch yourself, but it's also like a fact finding mission. And you're like, Ooh, that's how that person does it. Okay. Copy putting that in my arsenal, you know? So I loved being a guest star actor. I still say yes to it all the time. I, right before the, the pandemic happened earlier this year, the last gig I worked, I guest starred on Grace and Frankie. It's seventh season, seventh and final season. And I love that show. And to just go there and, you know, work with Marta Kaufman, who is their showrunner, creator of Friends, little show. Um, it was unbelievable, unbelievable to watch them all work. Um, so, and then I had done a couple pilots at that point, which is a huge deal, um, but they hadn't gone. So to to the world, it's it's not you know um, a a known um, gig. And so Spunheads was really my first one that that I got to share, um, and that it was Amy and Dan and. And that it was, you know, a show with Sutton Foster, who previously I talked about was like my equivalent of like posters on the wall growing up. And um, it was just, it was such a dream. And that it happened while I was still at school and I was getting to um, manage that and sort of be like half on campus and like, oh, okay, great. I have a day off. Let me go to, <laughs> let me go to set. Like, it was bonkers. It was, it was so delightful. And um, yeah, and, and I, we had a couple of, um, dancers from from world arts and cultures which we call WAC um from WAC who were also some of our our background dancers on the show and I, I have this one picture of a couple of us with our UCLA sweaters on set and it just was it was such a dream you know um and we shot at Sunset Gower so it just sort of it was like you know it just it was in a lot of ways just such a dream job I I I wish it would have gone another year because it just did that one year and it has this cult following you know, but, um, and it's so fun to me to meet those fans for sure. <laughs> it's the best. Cause I'm like, you watched? Yes. Like it's such a delight, but it really was the biggest thing for that job for me was I was, I was encountering probably most in my own head. I needed to get over the fact that I was now the winner. So you think in dance attempting to act and it wasn't, it wasn't the world knowing like, well, I'd been doing musical theater and, and since I was in middle school and I'd always intended to be an actor. And for me, an actor meant you danced and you sang and you, you know, I felt like I needed for myself to make that transition in a way. And this job just afforded it in a way that, well, was very organic. Um, I, I played a dancer on the show and I got to dance and Amy Sharon Paldino gave me such a gift and really, putting my my dance to work there but I was an actor on the show and and after that I think I could shed it it wasn't even really I don't know how much of it was the industry I think really it was me needing to shed that and move forward and say okay now you got a recurring under your belt like let's go get a pilot that maybe gets picked up <laughs> yeah so you, you had guest spots you had recurring um I mean you talked about getting a pilot that got picked up and now mm -hmm. you're the lead for Roswell New Mexico on CW um, tell us about that experience and, and maybe the weight that there is on you to, to lead a show. You're, you're the star now. Um, how do you deal with that? You know, I think I always, in the back of my mind, thought maybe that would happen one day, but I never thought it would happen in my 20s. Um, 
and I always was very, I remember watching the way Sutton was and, and the way she took care of her crew and just by being a bright light on the set, um, being on Grey's Anatomy, which was my, my gig right before I did a, a season of Grey's Anatomy right before I did Roswell. And watching all of those guys who'd been doing the show for 14 years at that point, and Ellen Pompeo and the way she leads that show and, and always fact finding, but I didn't think I would have to put it to work. So quite, quite so immediately. Um, so I had, I had a lot of nervousness once the job became a reality, for sure. Um, and then, and then I realized really quickly, I love it. I really do love it. I love the responsibility. Um, I love, I love um, how much, how much time it affords me to get to play, like how much time I get in front of the camera. I'm so grateful to that. Um, and, and it's been, and, and the leadership element of it um, has been trying at times. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to tell you it was easy. It's been easy the whole time, but I'm learning so much. I feel like a Titan. I feel like, um, you know, an acting machine right now. And I, I am so excited to do the show for as long as they will have us at the CW. We were picked up now for our third season, which will start as soon as this, you know, is a safe environment with which to work in post pandemic. But um, whenever this show takes its last bow, I, um, I'm so excited to step into a number one position again. I want that. I know that now. And um, I'm excited about how with every, with every season, I just know I'm getting better and better at, at being a great number one. And, and I'm proud of that. And I want that. I want there to be just like more and more great bosses, you know, and, um, and you're a baby boss when you're the lead of a show. So you guys just kind of wrapped up your, you just aired your second season finale a couple of weeks ago and belated congrats on getting picked up for a third season. Kind of what is, what is left for this show to explore? Where does it go in the future? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a cool thing about sci-fi. I mean, our show's about aliens. <laughs> it's about aliens, but it's really a show about otherness. It's a, it's a show about not knowing where you belong and who's to say you belong. And, um, and the, the layers in which we explore in that is super informed by my character, Liz Ortega, who's our protagonist and who is the daughter of a mixed status family. Her, her parent, her dad, Arturo Ortega is undocumented. And um, what I love about this is like, I got to play a, a DACA recipient on Grey's and it was such a, just a satisfying, just heart, like bursting experience to get to do that. I, I, I hadn't really, you know, gotten to play Latinas in a way in which the storyline was um, honoring something that is such a prevalent part of the Latin experience right now in, in the United States at least. And um, leaving that show, it was like this funny realization that like, oh my God, I'm getting to do this again, but now I am Meredith Grey. <laughs> like, it was like, this gets to be, this gets to be the spine of the show. You know, not just sort of like one of its tendrils, like it, it gets to evolve. And um, I know from just my journey with my family and um, 
our American journey that with every generation, you know, I just, my niece was just born, my older sister just had a baby and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, she's half Cuban on our side. And then my brother-in-law's Jersey Italian. Like, I'm like, this is a whole nother, you know, iteration of it an evolution of it. So it's exciting to me that we have a show here about a Latin woman and, um, and there is endless, endless experience that can, can be acknowledged and honored and um, rightfully so on our show. For our listeners, I guess, go catch it on Netflix, go binge it on Netflix. Yes. Uh, Nakin, you have anything to say about the pilot uh, putting you on the spot again? <laughs> uh, so I, I guess this is the time for full disclosure. In the last two weeks, I binged the entire show. <laughs> I love you. Um, I called it, you know, my parents are wondering, why are you spending so much time watching television? I'm like, I'm preparing. This is preparation for an interview. This has nothing to do with entertainment. I'm, oh. I've got questions. I love it. That's the best part of our jobs when it's like, okay, listen, it's so hard all the time. But right now, this is the sweet part. I get to watch TV as like my fact finding. <laughs> so on that kind of fact finding, um, we talked about the importance of diversity. Kind of, you played an immigrant daughter or daughter of an immigrant. You played an immigrant or daughter of an immigrant. Um, how were you able to kind of draw from personal experiences, or, or what was your fact finding process like? Did you binge a lot of TV like Knockin did, or, or what was it? I mean, a, a little bit of binging because I, I watched the original Raw as well. Um, I read the book series, the B, the first book in the book series, Roswell High, which both shows are based off of. Um, and then I, man, you know, that's the beauty of living in LA. You live amongst so much vibrancy, um, in little pockets of immigrant communities all throughout the city. So I felt like I, you know, knew and love it and just, just sort of like go that way anyway, because it's the world I grew up in and the community I grew up in in Miami. So I'm like, new city, let's find us, you know? Um, so definitely a lot of that. <laughs> but, um, the other thing was I started I started doing just research and reaching out to activists and, and um, I, I'm very passionate about finding firsthand experience, which is something that really um, was drilled into me actually at UCLA. I had some wonderful English teachers and um, I've always been fascinated by that. I, I want to go back at some point and get a graduate degree and I'll probably do English literature because it's all story, you know, and character. And, and they talked a lot about the value of firsthand experience. Um, and so, I was turned on by my good friend, Katie Grossbart, who's an activist in LA, um, to an organization called This Is About Humanity. And they do these trips, these bus trips to the border in Tijuana and um, spend time with um, the families there who are in line in the process and are waiting um, to get their citizenship. Um, and a lot of them um, are escaping some very horrible hardships and a lot of them are recovering from horrible hardships they endured in our country in these you know family separation um atrocities that have been being committed and children living in cages and parents being you know unable to contact or find their kids and separated it's 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 tragedy so talking to a lot of these um young people who were so so brave and, and willing to share their stories and talking about firsthand what it feels like to be um, home with your family and live through a raid, live through them coming. They normally come early in the morning because they know you'll be home and um, 
I remember this one, this one kid was telling us about this story, um, about this happening to them and that they were hiding inside of a closet and um, the light behind the ice agent as the ice agent started coming towards um, them and that they sort of created this shadow figure vibe. And, and that was just, that filled me up immediately hearing this story. And it's a imagery I come back to a lot in shooting our show. So definitely this is about humanity has been huge and um, huge influence for me and, and resource for me. Um, and, and then the other one is Define American, which is this incredible organization um, started by my friend Jose Vargas. And um, he, he is a resource in himself, particularly to these productions that um, are beautifully interested in, in exploring the immigrant experience and what they do, what they provide to writers' rooms um, is a portal to firsthand experiences and um, they are your sounding board and they are your fact finders to make sure that everything you are putting out there is um, authentic and and truly honoring um, these immigrant journeys so meeting them while working on Grays was a game changer for me. So one of the things that that your show Roswell talked quite a bit about is you know there are scenes where you're addressing racism, immigration, substance abuse, medical ethics, and, and many others. And oftentimes you also acknowledge our current president and, and some of the policies he's enacted. So why do you think it's important to kind of highlight and showcase those, those moments and, and what impact do you hope it has on, on viewers who are watching? I mean, you know, our show is, is a CW show. It is made for, you know, teenagers to young adults, <laughs> you and me included. <laughs> um, so it's powerful because it's speaking to the youth and it's speaking to um, people who, um, whose voice is needed, particularly when it comes to, vote, to voting. Um, so that makes me really proud because um, I remember I remember just having new ideas introduced to my worldview and sparking conversations in my home as a result of what I saw on TV, you know? So um, for our show to be addressing so much and attempting to honor um, a couple of those things more in depth uh, makes me really happy, um, makes me really proud. And I guess, I guess that's what I hope too is, um, that it'll just remind people, regardless of where they are or what, you know, location-wise or, or who their family is or what their upbringing is, that if they have an idea that is different, that they're not alone, you know, and um, that there's a, there are a lot of places where they will find that um, love and acceptance <laughs> reign supreme <laughs> and um, that they should find us. And, um, yeah, and, and just feel more fortitude in continuing to, to be that kind of um, empathetic and open-hearted person. So Hollywood has historically had, you know, a problem with diversity. And recently in the news, there have been shows like Big Mouth and Cleveland Show, where white actors voice minority characters, and they vowed to, to kind of recast some of these characters. And blackface has been pulled from episodes in shows like 30 Rock, The Office, and Scrubs. 
So wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the changes that you've seen in the TV and film industry kind of since you've started till to now and where, where do we have to go? Oh man, such a change. I, I mean, I, one of my first experiences in LA was feeling, um, was hearing, I should say, from agents um, that I should have such a sense of relief that my last name is Mason because it doesn't expose me, it doesn't expose me as a Latin woman, that it isn't like, you know, Rodriguez or something. Um, and I just, as a 19 year old, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and now I just want to be like, ow, smack them in the face, like, but I mean, maybe not that, but you know what I mean. But you just, you want so badly to get to the place you want to be. And you know, I mean, we all are aware of the odds that are stacked against us, particularly as artists, because for whatever reason, people love to remind us. People go, you want to be an artist? My God, is it hard. You want to be a doctor? Great, go get it. Are we saying being a doctor is not hard? Like, hello, my brother-in-law's a doctor. That guy, I mean, you know, to give yourself 10 years to pursue something out in LA, I mean, that makes sense to me. You give yourself at least 10 years <laughs> to become, to get your footing in the field of medicine, you know what I mean? Um, so that's that's one thing for me. I, I definitely um, was aware of the odds being pr probably stacked against me more. Um, a lot of it was watching even the, the shows I watched growing up. I remember watching Gossip Girl on the CW. That was like the one when we were in high school, you know? And and um, there was the Vanessa character who was sort of like the best friend and she was sort of the like ethnically ambiguous one. And I was like, well, there we go. I have a space. Like I'll have to get out to LA and I'll have to be the friend. It'll be great. And again, it was this like glorious optimism of like there's space, awesome. I didn't take time to imagine that it would be a, such a different landscape by the time that I'd be maturing in the industry that I would get to be Blake Lively. You know what I mean? It's, it's massive. It's massive that what's happened in, in um, a relatively short amount of time. So um, I'm very grateful to that. And um, I'm trying to do my part um, to be just a, just a, squeaky wheel and a badass advocate and just like mow the lawn a little more for everyone who's coming behind and being like, okay. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be in a position that I get to do that. I'm thrilled because it means I've made it to a place that I was hoping I would at least get to be here for a minute. You know, I'm getting to do something that is really, I'm hoping, um, giving somebody out there who's maybe in their hometown getting ready to head out to a big city a little more resolve, you know, and that's huge for me. And that being said, you know, I, the, the, my favorite person to talk to always on a set is um, the, the female, the female actor who is older than me. I love working with that person. Um, and I love picking their brain because I love, um, I just love getting a sense of, of, um, just how backwards it was for them for so long and um and 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 what they're still seeing that i can maybe be a part of resolving more um so there's still so much of course work to do and and particularly when we think about the landscape of bosses of high of the higher ups of the figureheads in in the businesses and the companies that make the decisions of what goes and uh, what gets canceled so um you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find those people and align myself with them as much as possible in whatever 
whatever place they are in their like career ladder. It's a baby producer at some company. And I'm like, you know what, let's work together. Like, um, because those are the people that I think right now we gotta, we gotta, um, just support to get to those higher up positions. I think that's going to be our next big frontier. So kind of what does the future hold for you? I know you, we talked about Royce Hall being one of those goals, kind of what are mm-hmm. the goals you have for yourself? You know, I, I'm in New York now. Um, I am from Florida originally. And like I said earlier, and, and I always imagined coming back to the East coast and New York was just sort of the beginning of the dream for me, you know, when we're talking about Sun Foster and Rita Moreno and, and the kind of performer I like to be is like a head to toe performer. I like to say where it's like every inch of your body and every instrument you have in you is involved in the storytelling. So I'm really, I'm really excited and attracted to that right now. And I'm hoping to get to do more theater. I got to do a show in, in LA a few years ago, a revival of Zoot Suit um, at Center Theater Group in downtown LA. And it was such a dream. I remember all through college watching shows there and just being like, one day I will do a show at this, you know, at the Mark Taper Forum. And, and getting to be a part of that show, Luis Valdez is the playwright and he um, directed the original and he directed our revival. It felt so good. It felt so good to get to be a part of like a seminal American play, but a, a play that that honors LA in particular too. And, 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 and the, the Zoot Suit Riots. And um, uh, I would love, love to do some original work. I think that when I think about, when I was getting to pick the brains of the people who were involved in that when it was first happening, um, I just thought, how cool would that be to get to like have, yeah, have my Hamilton moment, you know what I mean? Um, particularly in theater, like what I'm seeing is, you know, there's there's just so much more to do. And, and we need to encourage people to do original work because like right now we're in the middle of a revolution, you know? So like, let's honor it and let's like truly like, you know, get our hands dirty and like create stuff of the earth right now, you know? So I'm, I'm hoping I get to have, I just love collaborating too. So that's what I'm putting out there for myself. I hope to find some, some people out here that I just, I just love collaborating with and that I'm gonna be happy to be like, in a rehearsal space with, with like my hair in a bun, you know, like a top knot in sweats. Like that's what I want. I want to be in a rehearsal room right now. <laughs> Fair. We're going to do a, a quick rapid fire section. I'm going to hit you with some questions quickly and just okay. kind of first thing that comes to mind is, is the answer we're looking for. Okay. All right. Uh, your favorite dancer. Oh my gosh. Um, Gabby Diaz. She is also from Miami and has also won. So you think you can dance. She's my doppelganger, essentially. Favorite dance movie? Oh my god! (laughs) Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Chicago. I loved it. Mine's Magic Mike. I was (laughs) gonna say that the right answer is Step Up, but I will take the other (laughs) one as well. That came to my mind immediately because that's probably the first one that I was like, yes, I want to do this one day. <laughs> uh, favorite TV show? Ooh, oh man, I just um, binged Succession on HBO and it is okay. brutal. It's amazing, amazing. Best place you've gotten to perform, either dance or act? Um, uh, oh, 
You know, I, I live on the Upper West Side in New York, and the first theater I ever performed at in New York City is the Beacon Theater, and it's just down the street from here, and I love how serendipitous it is that I now live so close to it, so I'm hoping I get to perform there again. <laughs> what makes you happy? Um, comfy and cozy things, like tea and um, books and like a little a tree in Central Park, cozy things. <laughs> And thing you're looking forward to doing as soon as the quarantine is over? I want to be like sweaty, tipsy mess dancing with my friends at a club. I, in particular, La Descarga, which is a Cuban club in Koreatown in LA. I cannot wait to be dancing with them on that dance floor and having, well, maybe a little bit too much rum. That sounds fun. Um, and then I kind of standard Final two questions. What was your favorite UCLA memory? And who is your favorite Bruin? Okay, so, oh man, so many UCLA memories, but I gotta go with my best friend, Jenna Maroney. I was so intimidated to start school, especially because I was a semester late and I'm like, everybody knows each other now and it's just me. And I got to my first class in my Taipei way, like 20 minutes early. And she was already sitting outside of the class and I immediately knew, like, this is my kind of woman. Like, she, she's so on time. <laughs> and um, she looked over at me, and she was so stressed about whether or not she was going to be able to get into the class. So that's why she'd gotten there so early. And she just immediately started, like, going off about this class and blah, blah, blah. And, and I just remember looking at her being like, okay, here we go, college. I was nervous about making new friends. And I, the first person I meet, I already know I love. And to this day, she's my best friend. So it's probably my favorite UCLA memory and my first real UCLA memory. Um, and uh, um, she's an incredible dancer, by the way. She's probably my other favorite dancer, Jenna Maroney. <laughs> and then um, this was fun. So I too was on Wikipedia today looking at the alum because I was going to say Sarah Bareilles. I love her and her music. Oh my God. Um, and that she won Spring Sing, like so cool. But I noticed that Agnes DeMille went to UCLA. And I did not know this. Um, I did not know that, first of all. And second of all, she's a name that I always sort of knew just as like a theater lover. And I remember seeing her name on like rehearsal halls or buildings, you know, about the arts. But I didn't realize how pivotal she was to dance in theater. She was an incredible choreographer. Um, she choreographed Oklahoma, which revolutionized musical theater. And what she did was she incorporated so much ballet um, and she made the dancers the leads. They were, they were the actors and they, um, <laughs> I just love that. I love that it's really the beginning of the things we love about shows like Hamilton, where it's like a brand new thing has been introduced to a landscape. And it's generally a collaboration like that. It's, and that these highly skilled dancers were the leads, were so cool to me. And that her movement pushed the narrative forward so much. Like she, it wasn't just like, and a tap number over here, you know? It was like the movement was, was telling us the story. It was pushing it forward. It was telling us more about the characters. I did not know this about her. I love it. It feels so lined up with so much that I respond to as an artist. And she's a Bruin. So look at that. After hearing both of you guys go on Wikipedia, I think I'm going to add a knock into that list. I think that's another benefit of Wikipedia. Anyone can write anything. Yeah. 
and, and see if in a couple episodes someone else says they went on Wikipedia and, and knock and use their uh, favorite brewery. <laughs> Man, you let me know who's next. I'm going to plant that. <laughs> Uh, so thanks so much for, for joining us on Brewing One Ear and Out the Other. But before we let you go, feel free to give us a 30-second plug for something going on in your life, whether that's what you're doing during quarantine, Roswell, or, or dance, or something we should check out. Oh, wow. Okay, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing a couple readings for a cause, which I'm excited about, reading plays or old movie scripts. So definitely check out my my Instagram, which is at it's Janine Mason. Um, it's just fun to, to find ways to be creative in the midst of this, you know, madness. <laughs> um, and the other thing I'll say is, if you have even a dollar um, to send somewhere, consider sending it to the Actors Fund. It is not just for actors too. It's for all of the technicians and artisans and um, I mean, that are involved in um, theater and in, and in production, you know, everyone from the gaffer to the person operating the lighting board, you know, we're, they're all having a tough time right now. And I love the way people are just devouring film and TV right now and really feeling at home and taken care of and at ease by it. So just, if you can just consider it your, your subscription to the arts right now and how much it's giving you, if you could just send five, 10 bucks to the Actors Fund, I, I would love you forever. Thanks again to Janine Mason for joining us on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or guest recommendations. And please make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you enjoyed learning more about Awesome Bruins. And like always, hopefully everything we talked about today didn't go brew in one ear and out the other.